women. So in the last episode, we defined self-hate. What is it? And now in this one, we're going to talk about where it comes from. All right, here we go. Oh, one more note before we start. Throughout the book, the author, Sherry Huber, sometimes uses a dialogue between a student and the guide. The guide is the main narrator of the book that you've been hearing thus far. The student is somebody that she's in dialogue with, um, somebody who's trying to learn these things for themselves. I've tried to differentiate those voices. When I'm talking as the guide, it's more like this. And when I'm talking as the student, it's more like this. But anyway, just wanted to let you know that um, that can maybe help you just get a picture of who it is that's supposed to be talking. Where did all this self-hate come from? Socialization and subpersonalities. We learn self-hate as children, and we learn it whether we grow up in a loving family or not. The steps go pretty much like this. One, the child has a need. Example, the child is afraid of the dark and wants to be comforted. Two, the need is rejected. Her parents say, you're a bad girl to be out of bed. Go back to bed this instant. Three, the child comes up with a behavior as a means of survival in order to get the need met. For example, being afraid of the dark, she will sneak a flashlight into bed. Four, the child simultaneously identifies with the authority figure who didn't meet the need. They're right, I'm bad for being this way and identifies with the part who was rejected. I'm afraid, and they don't love me because I'm afraid. The child, completely incapable of grasping any of this consciously, nevertheless learns to believe. There must be something wrong with me. That's why they are treating me this way. It's my fault, it's not their fault. In the child's mind, there can't be anything wrong with the parents because survival depends on them. This is the birth of self-hate. Five, the child decides to be perfect, to do everything right, to be really good in order to be loved. There is no choice about this. The child's survival depends on it. They don't love me because there is something wrong with me. I have to think of everything. If I just do it right and never let that happen again, then they'll love me. This self-talk maintains self-hate. Six, to ensure survival, the judge, as a subpersonality, is born to make sure that the child is perfect and right and good. The birth of the judge guarantees the continued existence of self-hate. This process repeats constantly up through age seven when, it is said, we are completely socialized. After that, the judge is tenured and guaranteed a full-time job. 
During this process, we have concluded that needs are bad and that we are bad for having them. And of course, we have them anyway. Why am I so needy? Recently, you used the term horrible needy thing, and I realized that's exactly how I think of it. Needy is horrible. No wonder I can't let neediness come up in myself. And when I see it in others, I slam them down with the same judgment that it's horrible and unacceptable. That's an example of the conclusion we drew when we first began learning to abandon ourselves. We concluded that the reason we were being rejected was that we had a need, and having a need means you're bad. If you're bad, you're unlovable, and if you're unlovable, you won't be able to survive. So from that perspective, the bottom line is don't have needs. Once we turn our attention outward, most of us never address the original unmet need we were traumatized into abandoning. Most of us don't know that it is that original unmet need that has been controlling our lives. The need to be loved and accepted exactly as we are. Eventually, it dawns on us that we can't stay in the I'm wrong mode forever, or we really won't survive. There has to be a duality formed in which I'm not wrong, they're wrong operates. The sadness is that you can live your whole life trying to prove your parents wrong, but nothing will really have changed. All your ideas about being perfect and right and good will just be in reaction to the conditioning you received from your parents. Not only will you pursue those ideas of perfection, but eventually you will have to reject them, and you will have to reject them perfectly, and pretty soon you will have tied yourself up in such a knot that you won't be able to move in any direction, and you will just sit there in self-hate, because the bottom line is, you lose. Self-hate accounting, the insufficient funds rule. Why do I never feel that I have been good enough and generous enough? I try and try, but this little nagging guilty feeling is always here. Good question. I look at this a lot. It's just so pervasive in human experience. I was talking about it earlier and gave this example. You go along in life and you do what you're supposed to do. And every time you do something you're supposed to do, you put a dollar in the bank. Okay. Every time you're kind, patient, or you do the thing you're supposed to do, whatever it is, you know what those things are for you. Every time you put a dollar in the bank, a dollar in the bank, a dollar in the bank. And you're working at this. You're up early in the morning doing these things until late at night, every day. Finally, you feel like you're just kind of worn out. You feel like you need a little pleasure in your life, a little time on the beach or something. And so you think, I'm going to go to the bank and I'm going to take out some money and I'm going to do something nice for myself. So you go to the bank and you say, here I am. I want to take out some of the money I've saved so that I can do something nice for myself. And the response is, oh no, you haven't earned nearly enough to get anything for yourself. Oh, you have to work much harder. You have to put much, much more money in before you can get anything for yourself. Of course, if this were First National Bank you were dealing with, you would say, no, this is not the way this is going to work. This is my money. You can't tell me when and where and how I can spend it. And yet, 
At the bank of self-hate, that's exactly the way it works. With self-hate, you get to earn and earn and earn endlessly, and there is never a payback. You think that you're saving up all these points and that someday you'll receive some benefit from them, but you never will. Yes, that happens a lot. Let me give you another example. You decide that you're going to take up running, and so this person is going to help you become a runner. You put on your little outfit, and the person says, why'd you put that on? You're going to wear that? Boy, do you look stupid. Well, you go put on another outfit. You put on several outfits, and finally, just give up on that discussion. You're never going to look good enough to run, so you just decide you're going to do it anyway. You go out there and start running, and the person says, you called that running? Do you really think you can be a runner? Now, I just want to give you another possibility, okay? How about if the person who is with you says, run in anything, it doesn't matter, you look fine. Just get out there and run, that's great. You're doing good. How long did you run? 10 minutes? That's wonderful. Think about it. Which person wants you to run and which person wants you not to run? There's no mystery in this, folks. It's not hard to pick out which characters are in which camp, internally or externally. In the first example, the person at the bank of self-hate does not like you. It's important to get that. It's not like this person is really pulling for you to get enough money in the bank to do something special for yourself. No, this person will never give you a dime. You will work yourself to death and you'll never get a thing for it. It is really important to understand that. If you had a person in your life treating you the way that you treat yourself, you would have gotten rid of them a long time ago. You'd think so, wouldn't you? It seems so clear, but because that voice speaks from inside our own head, we are actually willing to perpetuate the illusion that this person is on our side, likes us, has something valuable to say, has some sort of merit in life. But it doesn't. It's a pathetic thing. It does not need to be in charge of anybody's life. And so you don't let it run your life. You don't let it sign on your bank account. You don't let it arrange your calendar. You don't even let it cook for you. Are you with me? I am with you. Sometimes I don't see that separation. Right now, right here in this room, it seems very clear to me. I can give you the simplest of all possible rules of thumb. Any time a voice is talking to you that is not talking with love and compassion, don't believe it. I'm going to repeat that. Any time a voice is talking to you that is not talking with love and compassion, don't believe it. Even if it is talking about someone else, don't believe it. Even if it is directed at someone else, it is the voice of self-hate. It is simply hating you through an external object. It can hate you directly by telling you what a lousy, rotten person you are, and it can hate you indirectly by pointing out what's wrong out there. If the voice is not loving, don't listen to it, don't follow it, don't believe it. 
no exceptions. Even if it says it's for your own good, it is not. It's for its good, not yours. This is the same as when parents talk to you in a hateful tone of voice for your own good. It's for their good. It makes them feel better. It does not make you better, and it does not make you behave better. Here are some outrageous things I suggest about this. Anytime you hear the voice of self-hate, do something for yourself that will make it crazy. Buy yourself a present. Sit down and read for pleasure. Take a long, hot bath. Whatever it is that you can't let yourself do? Yes, whatever would be lazy and indulgent, thoughtless, selfish, yes. The more, the better. It can be as simple as going for a walk on a nice day. You just keep on walking until the voice is still, until it is clear that it's not in control anymore. Then, when you're ready, when you're present, go back to your regular... Okay, men, that's the next chunk of There Is Nothing Wrong With You. And there is nothing wrong with you. I love you so very much, and I want you to be able to love yourself. <laughs>